You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Guys, we're going to begin in a moment in the Gospel of Luke chapter 8. And so if you want to open your Bible apps to Luke chapter 8 or your old school paper Bibles, either way, Luke chapter 8. Our ushers do have old school paper Bibles. And if you want to borrow one or keep one, you can raise your hand. They'll get one to you. Luke chapter 8. Well, today, I do want to welcome all of our campuses to those who are here at our Overland Park campus, whether you're right now in the venue or you're here in the auditorium. Welcome, guys. We're excited about this weekend. For those of you who are part of our Relate to Campus team, congratulations. This is the weekend you're starting. We are so proud of you and excited that you're starting our second campus. Praise God for you. Absolutely. And uh, we believe God's going to use you in people's lives in a tremendous way for many years to come. And if you're online uh, joining us, whether you're here in the States or somewhere else around the world, uh, we believe God has a very important message for you. And we also hope that you sense God's love for you uh, today. And so we're actually continuing our series through the Bible. It's called Your Story, Your Faith Story. It's built on two thoughts. Thought number one is that you have a story. You have a very unique story, an important story to God. Your story is important to God. Second thought about this series, Your Story, is that your story is a part of his story. And his story is history. And so it's not just your story on your own. It's in this larger narrative of what God's doing in history. We've encouraged you to send in your stories based on a four-chapter outline that we taught last week. I encourage you to go online and pick up that message. We've received some 50 to 60 stories the last couple of weeks. And and here's the four-chapter outline. If you email us at stories at visitgracechurch.com, chapter one of your story, who I was before Jesus. Chapter two of your story. How you met Jesus. Chapter 3, how Jesus changed you. Chapter 4, what Jesus is doing in your life today. And so it is not too late to send in your stories to stories at visitgracechurch.com. So I have in my hand all the 30, around 30 stories sent in just this past week. And there were stories of people who were raised in church and then gave their life to Jesus. Or, or were teenagers and then gave their life to Jesus. Or when college Some people they met, some friends, led them to Christ. Or even after college as well. One guy talked about being in a business and having a business associate come into his office and share Jesus. We've read every word of every story. Thank you so much. Uh, But I plucked off three stories that I thought were really good representative stories, powerful ones. Uh, One guy wrote this. Here's chapter one of his story. Chapter one. My dad was an absent father. And I struggled with believing that I was loved and cared about. Chapter 2 of his story. I met a group of believers who pursued a friendship with me, and that sense of community softened my heart to hear about Jesus' love for me. Then I gave my life to Jesus. Chapter 3 of his story. Since giving my life to Jesus, I no longer struggle with feeling unloved and not cared about because I know Jesus is with me and providing for every one of my needs. Now, I try to serve and love others. Chapter four of his story. I am growing as a discipler of disciple makers. That is an awesome four chapter story. Here's another story from a guy in our church. 
Who was he before Christ? Chapter one of his story. I was a selfish boy. I wore a false face to look like a good kid, but I lied, I stole, and I only cared when it would affect my standing in the eyes of the world. Chapter two of his story. I was walking with my wife one day. We were dealing with relationship issues and weeping there on an empty neighborhood road. I begged forgiveness of my wife and of Christ. Thank God that Jesus and my wife accepted it and forgave me. Chapter 3 of his story. Now I hunger for the knowledge of God. Chapter 4 of his story. Through Christ I am succeeding where before I failed. That's an awesome story. In fact, one more story from one of our ladies who honestly is my hero. She is awesome. So here's a single woman who has now adopted four children under God's prompting to adopt as a single mom. Here's what she wrote, chapter two of her story. Because of my Sunday school teaching, I was lying in bed one night around nine or 10 years old, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart. Chapter three of her story. I think of several moments that have changed me at different seasons in my life. And she gave actually six examples of God prompting and changing. I'll jump to number six. I met my daughter from Russia and was praying to God about adopting her as a single woman without being married, without having a father for her. Then God spoke to me again and said, I will be her father. I will be her perfect father. This lady has adopted three little girls and one little boy now under the prompting of God. She is honestly my hero. So praise God for these stories. If you have a story, we encourage you to share your story. Uh, you can go online last week to see that outline. Send it to e- email us at stories at visitgracechurch.com. We're going to look at another person's story of how they met Jesus today. And this is the woman named Mary Magdalene. Mary Mag- a lot of things have been said over the years about Mary Magdalene. A lot of them are actually not true. We're going to, she's referenced 12 times in the Bible. We're going to see basically everything the Bible has to say about her in three acts. Act one of Mary Magdalene's story. How did she meet Jesus? Act two of Mary Magdalene's story. Okay, when she died, where was she? Or when Jesus died, where was she? Act three of her story. So when Jesus rose again, what happened to Mary Magdalene? Her story in three acts, three incredible examples, by the way, that we're going to ask ourselves three questions and say, wow, is Mary Magdalene's story inspiring to us, challenging us? Is the Holy Spirit prompting us in new ways in our walk with Christ based on her story? And so let's pray. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. The Holy Spirit illuminates spiritual truth anyway. Using his word, let's ask for God's grace. Lord, we thank you for this time. We pray that you would open up your word to us. Help us to see Mary Magdalene's story come alive. Help us see what the Bible actually says about her and then be inspired by her story in three acts. And I do pray that you would speak to us, encourage us, comfort us, challenge us, prompt steps of faith in our lives. And if somebody here has not yet received Jesus, they're online, not yet received Jesus, wherever they're at, that today they would fully surrender their life to you. We ask you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, let's go to Act 1 of Mary Magdalene's story, Act 1. During Jesus' life, 
How exactly did Mary Magdalene meet Jesus? That's in Luke chapter 8. It says in verse 1, Now it came to pass afterward that he, that's Jesus, went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. Okay, so here's the story. This is Jesus' ministry for about almost, he was around 30 years old. He was a carpenter. He had a job change around 30, became a traveling minister for three and a half years. He would go city by city around with 12 hand-picked apostles. But everybody, here's a picture of the Holy Land, a map in Jesus' day with names that Jesus would have used. In the south area, that green on the bottom was called uh, Judea. And that's where Jesus started and ended his life. Born in Bethlehem, crucified in Jerusalem. In that middle area, that pink area, is called Samaria. And that's where the Samaritans lived who were half Jewish, half non-Jewish. And the Jews typically avoided the area and those people. In the north is a green area called, again, Galilee. And that's where Jesus was raised, in Nazareth. That's where he worked. And that's where he spent most of his ministry. See that lake in the upper right-hand corner? Let's zoom in on that lake in the north. That was called the Lake of Tiberias. After Caesar, after Caesar, or the Sea of Galilee. And there's two cities to note. There's Capernaum in the north. <clears throat> that was a fishing village where four of Jesus' apostles were from. You're talking Peter and Andrew, James and John. And that's where Jesus based his ministry. That was ministry headquarters at Capernaum. Just five to six miles away, short walk, is the city of Magdala, also a fishing village. And that's where Mary Magdalene was from. See, Magdalene is not her last name. She was not from the family of the Magdalenes. She was from the city of Magdala. And if you were from the city of Magdala, you'd be a Magdalenian or Mary Magdalene of Magdala. Here's a picture of the city of Magdala. It's a beautiful area. There's the coast. You can picture fishing, this quiet village. Here's where Mary was from. Either Jesus came through there or she tracked Jesus down. Why did she do that? You see here in Luke chapter 8, verse 2. It says this, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. This verse introduces a couple of thoughts. Number one, it wasn't just the 12 apostles who traveled with Jesus. Other men and women besides the 12 also traveled with him. You see the men that travel with him in Acts chapter 1, Matthias and Joseph, were chosen as two men who traveled with him the whole time, besides the 12, because they were the candidates to replace Judas Iscariot. So other guys traveled with Jesus, not just the 12, and a cluster of ladies followed Jesus, his whole ministry, including Mary Magdalene, out of whom was cast seven demons. Now, demon possession in the Bible, if you want to see the two different ways demon possession manifests itself, write down Mark 1 and Mark 5, Mark 1 and Mark 5. Mark chapter 5 is the traditional idea of demon possession. That's a crazed person cutting themselves in a graveyard. But there's another manifestation of demon possession because demons customize their approaching people based on the culture. Mark chapter 1 is scarier because it's a place of worship. In a place of worship, there's a traditional, nice, respectable, demon-possessed person. But no one knows the demon. It's just a sense of darkness around them. But they're there. 
Whenever Jesus met demons, by the way, they'd fall on the ground and beg him not to judge them now. They knew judgment was coming. Fearful of Jesus' power, demons are nothing. They're ants. They're smaller than ants compared to Jesus. They're nothing. Now, Mary Magdalene, we don't know what type of demon possession she had, whether she had the kind of crazed cemetery Mark 5 version, the nice, respectable demon possession of Mark 1. But we do know this. She likely had prompts from demons, these thoughts. She had self-destructive behaviors, lots of bad choices, and in a very dark place. And when she met Jesus, Jesus healed her and changed her life. And she owed everything to Jesus. And so she began following him with a cluster of men and women besides the 12 gathering around him. And they also supported Jesus financially. Mary had some money, most likely. It says in verse 3. And another lady named Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna and many others who provided from him from their substance. They gave out of their funds, their savings, to fund his ministry. So here's the thing that jumps out at me, if you want to put this in your notes. Mary Magdalene serves as a model. She surrendered everything to Jesus. Mary Magdalene. She was part of this group of people, men and women, surrendered everything to Jesus. Have you surrendered everything to Jesus? She gave up control of her life. Okay, so if Jesus said, we're going to another city, she had no more rights to say, we're not going there. We should go here. We should stay here. The apostles, no more control. These guys, these women, no. Have you given up total control that God could guide you anywhere? And you would say this, I'm not sure I'd like it, but I would do it. She gave up her comforts if Jesus prompted. Like there was no hotels. They didn't have this big old evangelistic bus they were traveling around on. They didn't know where they were sleeping. Would you give up comforts of your city your home, your school, if Jesus prompted you. That's giving up control. She gave up her money to support Jesus and his ministry because she knew her money wasn't hers. Everything she had was God's. It's all God's, none hers. God's loaning her for a time to use his money. And so it leads to this thought, a chapter later in Luke chapter 9, Jesus unpacks what it means to follow Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus? Luke 9 verse 23 says, Then he, Jesus, said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, if you want to follow Jesus, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Every day you wake up picking up that crossbar and follow me. Jesus said the requirement to be a follower of Jesus is every morning when you wake up, wherever you wake up, there's a crossbar, a cross at your feet. And you have a choice to pick it up and carry it through your day or step over it and go about your day. When you picked up the cross... In Jesus' day, it was to die. He says, when you're crucified, you figure you're, you're dying. You're dying to your desires, your control issues, your will. You cannot follow me, Jesus says, without picking up your cross. And then you can follow me. Here's my question for you. Ask yourself, have I surrendered everything to Jesus? Ask yourself right now. Pray that. Have I surrendered everything to Jesus? And listen to the subjects that come into your brain. Pray that to God. You surrendered everything to Jesus. So I was on a run 
um, just yesterday, I was praying for you, and I, I prayed these things myself. And the first thing that came to my brain was various topics, and I think, okay, have I surrendered this area and that person and this subject and that dream? And I went through them. But the question changed in my brain. At some point, God changed the question, and I felt God ask me this question. What if I took blank away forever? Would you be okay with that? What if you never got this dream? Never. Would you be okay with that? What if you never do this again in your life? Are you okay with that? Guys, that is surrender. Surrender is having an open hand with God. And God, if you take this away, I never do this. I never experience this in my life. If that is your will, I may not like it. But I'm okay with it. Have you surrendered everything to Jesus like Mary Magdalene surrendered everything to Jesus? Okay, let's go to Act 2 of her life, Act 2. Where was she when Jesus was dying? She was doing better than those Yahoo coward apostles, I'll tell you. Because of the 12 apostles, one had committed suicide because he betrayed Jesus. Ten of them were cowards and ran away. Only one guy was a coward, came back. John was at the cross. Where was Mary Magdalene in her suffering? She drew close to Jesus. Look what it says here. In, back in Mark chapter 15, verse 40. Mark 15, verse 40 talks about this. Where was Mary Magdalene when she was suffering and Jesus was suffering? She was there at the cross. Verse 40. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene. There she is at the cross. Mary, the mother of James the Less, and of Joseph and Salome. There was Mary and Mary and his mom's name. Mary. Apparently, if you had a lady, you pretty much named her Mary back in Jesus' day. But here she is. She's at the cross where the apostles in their sorrow, they ran. Where is she in her sorrow? She got closer to Jesus. Where was, the, where was she at the burial of Jesus? Where did she run at the burial? Look at it in Mark 15, verse 47. The apostles are not there. Mary Magdalene is. And Mary Magdalene, the Mary mother of Joseph's, observed where he was laid. As they put the body of Jesus in the tomb, rolled the stone over the apostles, not there. Mary Magdalene, drawing close to Jesus in her suffering. Where was she a couple days later? She was going to the tomb to anoint his body. It says in Mark 16, verse 1. Now when the Sabbath was passed, the Sabbath was Saturday, is Saturday, but when it's past is at sundown. So you're talking about the Sabbath starts at sundown on Saturday. It's late Saturday night. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might come and anoint him. They went and purchased things at the market, these anointments. And they came to the tomb and they found the tomb empty. And they thought not that he'd resurrected. They thought his body was stolen. Which is why Mary Magdalene made a beeline to the apostles saying, guys, his body's been stolen. Not one person believed he had resurrected. But don't miss this. When Mary Magdalene was hurting, the apostles kept getting farther from Jesus. Where did she go? Closer to Jesus. You can put this in your notes. Mary Magdalene stayed close to Jesus in suffering. She stayed close to Jesus in suffering. Where do you go? When you're suffering. Where do you run when you have a feeling that you don't like to feel? 
Man, that's all types of things we do. Some people, like, don't flee to Jesus. They flee to Ben and Jerry. There's like, I, I, I don't like this feeling. I'm trying to get rid of this feeling. Some guys, what is on the next channel? I don't like this feeling. I don't like this feeling. Other people, substances. I want to numb myself from this feeling. People throw themselves into work. Man, church, man, school, success, working out. What kind of things do you go? Texting friend after friend after friend after Snapchatting friend after friend after friend. Where do you run when you are suffering? Mary got closer to Jesus. Like this was the message in the early church that suffering was a part of of being in the kingdom of God, necessary. Acts 14, verse 22 says this, Acts 14, 22. Here was the message of the early church. They would be strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must, through many tribulations, through lots of bad feelings and situations, enter the kingdom of God. Here's my question for you. Am I staying close to Jesus in suffering? Ask yourself, where do you run when you're feeling you don't like to feel? Just pray that and listen to God. Am I staying close to Jesus in suffering? more Mary Magdalene hurt, the closer she got to Jesus. That's awesome. What a model. All right, let's look at Act 3 of Mary Magdalene's story. Act 3, what happened to her after Jesus rose from the dead? Because she thinks his body's stolen. Well, she runs back to the tomb. She's weeping, and she encounters Jesus. Mark chapter 16, now down in verse 9. Mark 16, 9. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week... He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. This is amazing and ironic. God gave the privilege of being the first witness to Jesus' resurrection in history to a former demon-possessed woman. Why is that ironic? First of all, her background is not what you'd think the honor would go to. And then a woman. You see, in Jesus' day, in Jewish court, a woman's testimony was not even permissible in court. And God says, I don't care what your court system does. I overthrow your court system. This honor goes to a woman named Mary of Magdalene. That is awesome. She finds out. He realizes he's alive. She makes a beeline. Don't miss this. First thing she does is run to others who are hurting and tell them, you don't have to hurt anymore. Jesus is alive. Verse 10, she went And told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. She broke in. They're still crying three days later, mourning. And when, verse 11, they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. So they're like, this is so bad. Woman, you crazy. You're seeing something. That's not him. They didn't believe. What could take, by the way? These guys who are absolute cowards and running from Jesus and convert them over to people who under penalty of death, you're an atheist. You don't worship the emperor. You're an atheist. Oh, no, I'm not. I believe in Jesus resurrected. Well, just make a sacrifice and we won't torture you. Torture me. I'm not denying what I know. They saw Jesus. Kill me. We're going to kill you. 
Kill me then. Jesus appeared to people over and over. Here's the amazing thing about Mary Magdalene. You can write this down. Mary shared that Jesus rose from the dead. She shared Jesus rose from the dead to people who were hurting. She shared people who did not believe her. And when is the last time you shared with somebody who's hurting, even if they don't believe you, that it's going to be okay, Jesus rose from the dead. Think about all these appearances Jesus made. If you treat the Bible not as inspired, if you treat the Bible like any other historical document, like a critical historian, you can get to the point where you say, wow, the best evidence of what happened in Jesus' day was that Jesus really died. And he really rose again, just from a historical perspective, because Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene first at the tomb. Then he appeared to multiple women leaving the tomb. And then Jesus appeared to the apostle Peter individually. And then he appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then Jesus appeared to the apostles without doubting Thomas. And then he appeared to the apostles with doubting Thomas. And then he appeared on a fishing trip with seven apostles. And then to 500 people who were disciples on a mountain. And then to James, the half-brother of Jesus, who thought his brother was nuts. And then he appeared to the apostles on the Mount of Olives. And then he appeared to Peter, or Paul on the road to Damascus. Over and over, Jesus appeared over and over. This is one of the proofs of Christianity. These guys were cowards, hiding, groaning, And when they met Jesus who was alive, they were radically changed. Radically changed. Even just take it from a historical document. The best explanation of what happened, the change in all those people under penalty of death when converting was not a helpful thing for you was that Jesus really was alive. He was alive, proving he is God Almighty. Here's my question for you. Have you shared, are you sharing that Jesus rose from the dead? Am I sharing? Jesus rose from the dead? Ask yourself that question. Yeah, when's the last time I I shared with somebody who is hurting, just like Mary Magdalene, even if they don't believe me, that my faith and my hope is in the most important truth of Christianity. Everything is based on it. That there was a man named Jesus who died and he was buried And he rose again from the grave, conquering death, conquering sin. My faith is in him. Yeah, when is the last time I shared my faith story or Jesus is alive? Ask another question. God, is there anybody you'd want me to share my faith story, my chapters this week? Or to share why I believe Jesus is alive? And listen to Faces or names, promptings of God. That's God speaking to you. And if God's speaking to you, you might think, well, how do I start? God, give me this name, this person to share my story. I don't even know where to start. I'll give you a foolproof way to start. Ask permission. Here's what you say. Hey, I was thinking about you this week, which is true. You just thought about him. And I was prompted to ask a question, which is true. Here comes the prompting. Would it be okay if I share my faith story with you? I don't know if I actually fully ever shared that. Like why? Well, my faith. I just felt prompted to ask permission to share that. If they have any relationship and you ask nicely, in our culture, most likely they'll say, yes. And boom, baby, you're in. You ask permission. 
You share the prompting. You share your story. Or you shared your story. I've never shared why I believe the resurrection. You share the visits of Jesus at people after the resurrection. See, listen, even just treating a historical fact, it, Jesus rose from the dead. And that's why I believe. Don't believe the Bible's true. Treat like any other critical historian. The best explanation of what happened to those people and what happened in the early church is there was a man named Jesus who died, who rose again. And he radically uprooted their entire world, which changed the world. Here's the deal. God wants to lead your story. Your story is so important, but it's a part of a larger narrative. It's not just your story. It's his story, history. Ask yourself, like Mary Magdalene, have you surrendered everything to the point that God could take away something, anything, or not give you something, and you would say, I don't like it, but I'm okay with it. That's lordship. That's surrender. Like Mary Magdalene, in your feelings, you don't like to feel. Do you run closer to Jesus like Mary Magdalene? Or do you need to be this week be more intentional about running closer to Jesus versus other things which numb those feelings you don't like to feel? Or like Mary Magdalene, would you be willing to share that you believe in the resurrection with someone even if they don't believe you like the apostles did not believe Mary? What a story. Let's ask God to speak to us. Lord, we come to you and we thank you so much for the privilege of worshiping you. And God, I thank you so much the fact that we find freedom when we surrender fully. God, we embrace the fact that being a follower of Jesus means that we pick up the cross every day. We surrender everything every day as an act of following you. And it's in surrender to you that we find freedom. We find guidance. We find peace. We find hope. Lord, I pray for those people who, wherever they're at right now, they would surrender their life to Jesus. If they've not done that before, they're not sure they've fully surrendered to Jesus, God, help them pray this right now. Wherever you're at, our heads are bowed, would you pray for those who need to receive Christ and just pray for them. I ask you to pray this. Pray, dear Jesus, if you want to make sure you have Christ as Savior, if you'd like to ask him, say, dear Jesus, pray right now in your heart, dear Jesus, I surrender everything to you. Pray that. I surrender everything to you. Jesus, I place my faith in the fact that you died for my sins. For my sins. I'm so sorry. Jesus, I place my faith in the fact that you rose from the dead. And I can get there not even believing the Bible's true, just like a historical document. Wow, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. And because of all this, because of your love, which I do not deserve. Your love, which you offer to me without condition, I surrender to you. Jesus, I surrender to you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com.
For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.